This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Matt Bolin and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Well, good morning. We're sure excited uh, to be here, and I, I'm excited and blessed that you guys would come and join us on a Sunday morning. We love people here at Faith Christian Family Church, and we're sure glad you guys are here with us. Um, if you want to follow along in the message today, if you, want to, if you didn't bring your Bible with you and you want to open up the pages and hear them turn, I enjoy that. Noise is good noise on that. So if you want to do that, our ushers have some Bibles they'd let you borrow. If you would put your hand up in the air and say, no, I'd like to follow through with the Word of God, that'd be great. And then if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 um, is where we'll begin today. Um, Pastor Stormy has been doing a series uh, talking about obedience. And so today I'm going to kind of continue on with that same series, talking about the obedience that Jesus had with us in being a human, and he understands what we've gone through and what we've, where we've been, what we're going through, and because he had to go through the same things. And so um, I realized after first service, I'm uh, apparently needing my glasses because I'm sitting there reading, and I'm, you know, you know how that old look is where you got to get really close to see it. So I want to wear my glasses today during the message. It looks, makes me look smarter, so hopefully that'll help. Anyways, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get going. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. I thank you so much for the time we have to worship you and honor you. I pray, Father, that you would just bless each and every one of us if we receive your word. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it. Father, I thank you that this message, Lord, may impact our lives if we allow it to. And so, Father, I pray that those guards, those hindrances, the things that maybe we came in with, Father, that they may fall by the wayside. And Father, that our, we may receive your word today. And Father, Please help me to speak this message with simplicity and clarity. Father, through the Holy Spirit, give me ideas and thoughts, things that I planned on not saying so the lives will be affected and changed. And Father, truly, truly know that you want to touch their lives. So Father, we thank you and we love you and we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, I like to do this. Um, for those of you that uh, like to go ahead of the game, um, I used to be a youth pastor. And when I was a youth pastor, they always used to try to, I'd, I'd have like sheets for them to fill out. And most of the time, right when they got in, they tried to figure out all the answers ahead of time. So I would sometimes cheat and go ahead and give them all the answers and then preach the message so they could pay attention at that point instead of trying to guess the words. So if you're one of those that likes to go ahead, um, there's going to be three points to this. And I'm going to give you, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Mark chapter 6 and 3, and then Isaiah 53. So if you want to go ahead and mark your pages... Then it'll be easy and ready, and you can just slip right there. So um, as I said, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2. Let me go ahead and get there, too. Um, today's message, the title of today's message is Jesus was human. And I think at times we forget, and, and when I say we, I'm meaning me. I have a hard time sometimes believing that God really understands what we're going through. And so today, God, when I, when I heard about an opportunity to speak on a Sunday morning, um, and Pastor let me know that, I got to, the think, got to thinking about it, and it really hit home as I heard this simple thought that Jesus was human. And so I started preparing and going through this, and I heard a, another pastor share an incredible message on the same area, and I was like, that's it. That's it. Because I think a lot of times, and, and I associate it to Bugs Bunny, I think he ruined my faith. And the reason he ruined my faith is because every time that I think of God, I think of Bugs Bunny and how he used to see God. And how did he see God? He, he would be on this huge throne, and there would be like a, he would be dressed as a judge. And he'd be just sitting there waiting to hammer them and do those things. And sometimes that's the way that we treat God. Like, he, if you get out of line, I'm going to 
And God's never that way. God was never, he, when you read through the word of God, it's the exact opposite. God says, when you get out of line, stand back up and come here because I want to hug you and help you to walk through the right way. I want to give you the opportunity to go through these things. And sometimes when we understand who God is, it changes the way that we live. You know, I, I can remember this when I was a kid. You know, during the summer, you would finish school, and then the next year, you're getting ready to go to school. You find out who your teachers are the next year. And you would find out those teachers, and it was like, oh, I've got Mr. Havens. And you're like, oh, I got Mr. Havens. He does this, and he does this. And you go in because people have given this bad reputation because he actually makes you do work or because he makes you do this. And you go into class, and you've already got this preconceived idea that he's going to be so mean and so rough and so this. And then you get in there, and you're like, I love Mr. Havens. He's awesome. You know what he lets us do? He does this, and he does this, and he does this. And then we realize very quickly that we have a preconceived idea, notion of who he was before we ever got to know him. And I think at times that's what we do with God. You know, one of the most quoted scriptures nowadays is, you know, John three sixteen is the most quoted, but then they go back, do not judge me, lest you be judged. That's what people say because they don't want to be judged for what they've done. But you got to understand, God wrote that scripture so that we could understand we're not judging the person, we're judging the fruit. But people don't want to be judged because they think judges are bad. How many have ever sat in, a police, or sat in their car after they got pulled over by the police going, yes, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I wanted today. I am so excited. I woke up this morning thinking, if I could get pulled over for speeding today, that would make my day. I am so, I am so excited. Jumping out, giving hugs to the police officer going, yes, I'm so glad I got to meet you. This was my goal. Oh, I've already done it. I, oh, what a great day. No, what's the first thing that happens when you see those red and blue lights behind you? Dang it! Why did they get me? Hopefully it's more around those words and not other words that you use and actions and thoughts that cross your mind. But you know what? At times, if we don't have the right idea about those police officers, listen, those police officers are a blessing. They're a blessing in our life. When they catch us doing something wrong, that's because we did something wrong, not because they're wrong people. We got to believe and understand that they are good people. I had a police officer I was talking to the other day, and he said, if I was, he, he was talking about jobs, and he said, if I was to give anybody a job to go into, he said, I'd tell them to go be a fireman. He said, why? He said, well, because nobody in their right mind has ever yelled at a fireman for saving their house. When they see the fire truck come, what do they do? They run and give them hugs. Thank you so much. You saved me. And I look at that, and I'm thinking, here these police officers are trying to protect other people. They set the speed limits so that we don't go too fast, so that we don't hurt people. But I'm in a different situation. We have a preconceived idea about the police officers. And that's what I want you to understand. Not, not that that's on my message. That just came. That was free. And so we can do those things. But I want you to understand that that's a, they're a blessing in our life, just like God is a blessing in our life. God never takes anything away from you that is a blessing. God only enhances blessings. But we've got to trust him as we walk down this path. And so here we are. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. It says, your attitude should be the same of that of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, I, I like this because when I read that scripture right there, this is what comes to mind. Sometimes when we get authority, we abuse that power. Or we get power, we abuse it. You will go down and you will worship me and you will do this and you will do that. Well, that's not the way that God was. It says that he was in the very nature of God, but he did not say that that is something that you strive for. We keep reading right here. It says, but made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. He was exalted at the highest at this point. Listen, he was next to God. He was there when the world was created. He was there as Moses walked through the Red Sea. He was there as David fought Goliath. He was there at all those opportunities and all those times. And he could have easily said, you know what, God, if they're not willing to serve us, Dad, if they're not willing to serve us and do what they need to do, let's kill them all. Let's just get rid of them. We'll just keep the ones that are good. But he realized, you know what they need? They need an example. They need somebody to show them how to do this. They need somebody to show them that you can, you can win in this battle. You can win in this fight. You can win as a Christian. You can win. Verse 8, and being found in the very appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to the cross. What it comes back down to is this, is that Jesus set up a path for us. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow the example as I follow the example of Christ. God set that up so that we could follow and that we could understand that we can do this. We can do this. On our own, we can't do this. But with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a choice that we make. And Jesus came down to show us that you can do it. You can do it. I remember watching a movie. It was called, um, I totally forgot the name of it. But it was a, it was a war movie and they were they had to take these, um, fly these airplanes off of a very, very short runway. I think it may have been Pearl Harbor. But as they had to do this, I remember the instructor said, no, you've got to go faster. You've got to go faster. You've got to go faster. Finally, he got fed up with it, and he sat down. And he said, get it loaded up. Get my gear. I'm getting it, and I'll show you how to do it. And I think that's what Jesus kept saying. He said, guys, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And he said, finally got tired and said, you know what? I'm going to go show them that they can do this. I'm going to go show them that they can be a part of these things. Jesus was obedient as a human, as a mankind, even to death, so that we could have a way to get to God. Now, I told you the next scripture was Hebrews. Let's flip over to Hebrews real quick because I want you to understand something. We're starting to paint a picture and understand who God really is. So Hebrews chapter 2 says this. We're going to start in verse 14. This is speaking about Jesus right here. And it said this, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. What he's saying there is, listen, he chose to become a man in human flesh and form to go through the things that we go through to show us that we can do it. Skip down to verse 17. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful God and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So let me ask you this question. Who in this place has ever been tempted before? Oh, I know I have. I think every person in this entire room has been tempted. You probably were tempted this morning. You probably got cut off coming to church. Probably in the parking lot, somebody stole your parking spot. And your first reaction could have been, I just want to tell them they're number one. But making a wise decision because you're not sure who's watching, you decided to say, bless them, Lord. Bless them. Bless them the way that we want, you know. And we're going through all those things. Well, you know what? We all deal with temptation in our life. We all deal with those different things. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Is that he was made in very just in the exact same flesh and blood that we are. He was born of a virgin, 
raised by a mother and father, had brothers and sisters, went through all the same things that we went through. But a lot of times we forget that he had to go through it because we're thinking, well, he's just God. He can do it. But it said that he left the very nature of God and became man. Meaning he was, and he, he was God, but he lived as a man. He didn't live as God being a man. He lived as a man being a man. And that's what it comes back down to is we have to understand that Jesus didn't settle for the illusion of identifying with us or connecting with us. He came down to this earth to live as a man. And I want you to understand this because when you start to identify with somebody, it changes the way that you look at them, the way that you view them. So for example, I like talking to parents of older kids. One, it gives me hope because I know they're not going to be that bad if I hear the stories that they tell me. Some of my favorite stories are from just different families within the church who have told me about the crazy things their kids do. And I look at their kids today and I'm like, oh, good. Mine are not that bad because they went through the same stuff, but yet look at their kids now. They're serving God. They're worshiping God. Good. Okay. We're on the same path. We're doing okay. You know, a lot of times we look at people today and we see the outside, the shell of what's today, but we don't know how they got to where they're at today. But it's good to hear the stories because what happens is you start to connect. I can tell you about stories of my kids who have done the goofiest things, but then I look at them Look at other people who tell me stories of what they've done with their kids, and all of a sudden we start to connect. We start to connect, and I'm able to go, huh, so that's how it happens. You just keep doing this, and they're like, yep, you just stay faithful, and they, they keep trying. They'll learn, and they'll keep doing those things, and it helps. We connect in those areas. It's the same way if, say, you survive, say you're a cancer survivor, and you go in and Whatever that cancer may be, maybe you're sitting at a table of, of a bunch of new people. You just don't know them yet. Maybe it's at work or something like that. And somebody makes a comment about how you've been feeling. They're like, oh, you know what? I'm doing really good. I've got my energy back. And somebody says, well, what happened? They said, well, I just, I, I, I just fought this battle of cancer. And you're sitting across the table and you're going, you just fought cancer? Yeah. So how long have you been in remission? Well, I, I, you know, six months, a year. No way, I've been, I, I, I survived, I had that same thing. Did you go through this in your chemo? Yes, I went through that exact same thing. Did you deal with this? Who did you go to? Who was your doctor? What nurses did you? And all of a sudden, this conversation starts between you and this other person, and you're sharing stories. It's the same thing when you talk about somebody who's gone through the Marines or it's gone through Army. Whenever they sit down, they talk to each other. Any of the armed forces, they're talking to each other, and they're like, hey, do you remember boot camp? Yeah, it was like this, it was like that. I don't identify with it because I didn't go there, but those all of a sudden identify. That's the same way with God. God identifies with us because he came down here to say, I'm going to live this life as a man. It wasn't just an idea of, well, I hope they can connect. He said, I'm going to go live the same life so that when they come to me and they cry out and they say, God, my brother is acting like this. My kids are doing this. He can look and say, I know. I've been there too. I've gone through that. And you're going, well, yeah, but he's not gone through what I've gone through. He's not dealt with what I've dealt with before. Well, I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to show you exactly how he did deal with those things. So number one, we're going to start with this if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do this. Number one is this. Jesus understands relationships. 
Jesus understands relationships. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says this. It is, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas and Simon, and, those, and, and are not his sisters here among us? And they took offense at him and were hurt. That this they disapproved of him, and it hindered them from all, the acknowledge, all of them acknowledging his authority, and they were caused to stumble and fall. How many times have you ever been treated bad because of who you used to be? How many times have people looked at you and said, you go to church? Why do you go to church? I remember I went to my 10-year reunion, and I had a guy look at me and be like, you're a pastor? Really? You? And I'm going, you know, I'm thinking a different way. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I just didn't talk in front of people much. He's like, no, you were really mean. What? Yeah, God really uses you? And I'm like, well, I try to follow along. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? I'm sorry for the way I acted. He's like, huh. You go to church? And he just kept, he couldn't get it. But you know, it's that same thing. Sometimes people bring up your past and who you used to be. Yeah, but you used to do this. You remember on Saturday nights, you used to be out there at the bar and doing these same sort of things. I remember when you did this stuff here. And not only do friends and family do that, you got an enemy that keeps bringing it back up, slapping pictures right in front of you, painting these things that says, you remember when you used to be this? You remember how bad you used to be? It's exactly what happened to Jesus right here. Is this not Mary's son? This guy right here teaching. This, isn't this the kid that grew up down the street? Isn't this him right here? And it says that they looked at him as who he used to be. And because of that, they didn't recognize his authority. And therefore, they stumbled and fell. Jesus understands relationships. Not only that, Jesus understands brothers and sisters. It showed that he had four brothers and he had sisters. They didn't list the sisters at that time. So we know that he had at least two sisters. So you know he had to deal with the bathroom in the morning. You know it was a fight. It was a race to see whoever could get in there. Not only does he have to deal with two sisters, he's got four other brothers that are still trying to get in the same bathroom. You know that place had to stink. You know that had to, he had to deal with all those things. You know he had to deal with those guys that are, you know, we're going to pick on this guy. We're going to do this. And we're going to do that. You know, he grew up with all those same things. So for those of you that have brothers and sisters that maybe aren't serving God, you know, the Bible only refers to two of Jesus' brothers who served God wholeheartedly, and it took him years to get there, you got to keep trusting and believing. The Son of God. Now, I don't know if his whole family got saved. All I know is of those two. But you know what? That gives me hope that we can still fight. We can still reach for our family. We can still do those things. Jesus understands what it means to have siblings. Here's this. Jesus also understands what it's like to be single. You're going, oh, no, no, no. Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to be single in today's world. Are you kidding? Jesus understood what it was like to be single his whole life. He had all the opportunities in the world. He went through puberty. He went through being a teenager. He went through all those same things. When you read about what was in Proverbs, about these women that used to throw themselves at the men, I guarantee you he had to deal with temptation. I guarantee you he had to deal with the lust of money. He understood what it was like to be single and serving God wholeheartedly. Yeah, but it's hard. I understand. And that's exactly what he says. Yeah, God, this is hard. I know. 
I remember when I was growing, when I was going through those same things, I had a desire to be loved by someone else too. I had a desire to have a true relationship in that area. I had a desire for those things. I understand. All of a sudden, there's identification and you connect with Jesus. You know, there's a theory in the political world of identification. You know, years ago, they, the politicians used to come and they would meet with individual groups. So politicians would come and they would sit down and they would meet with all the bankers. The politician would stand up in front of them and say, my dad was a banker, so I know what you're going through. And then he would finish his speech and then he would go get in the car and he'd take his shirt off and he'd put on uh, more of a just casual shirt and he would go meet with the businessmen and he would stand up in front of all the businessmen and he would say, my mom's brother's uncle's cousin owned his own business, so I understand what you're going through. And he would finish his whole speech trying to identify with them. And then he'd go get in the car and he'd put on overalls and he'd go out and he'd meet with the farmers. And he'd say, my neighbors, friends, best friend, cousins, uncles, nephew has a farm. So I understand what you're going through. It's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. And that's where God comes back to and says, it's not an illusion that I understand what you're going through. I understand what it's like to have a brother and sister. I understand what it's like to have a mom and dad that reject you for what you're saying. What what, what do you mean? Continue down here. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 says this. Then his mother and his brother came and standing outside, they sent word to him calling for him, speaking to Jesus. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and your sister are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around on those, on those who sat in the circle about him, he said, see, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, I've read this scripture many times, and I always wondered, why did Jesus not get up and go talk to his mother and brothers? I mean, all the time I would always think that. That's kind of rude. You know, here's his mom and his brothers, and they want to go see him. And he says, I'm not going out there with them. But it's because I skipped over this other verse where I just read through it very quickly without understanding how they coincide. Verse 21 says this, and when those who belong to him, that him is capital, speaking of Jesus, it said his kinsmen, his brothers and his sisters, his mom, heard it. They went out and took him, they went out to take him by force, for they kept saying he is out of his mind, beside himself, deranged. What they were saying is, what is Jesus doing? Now, everybody's kind of got that uncle or that, you know, cousin that's yeah, a little, you know, you just wonder a little bit about him at times. You know, his mom probably dropped him a few times. Everybody's got those ones. That's what they're saying there. They're like, this guy's crazy. What is wrong with him? Do you know what he's doing to our name? Do you know what he's making me? You know what I'm going to have to deal with at work on Monday morning after he preaches this message Sunday morning? This guy's crazy. They're going to be going, did you hear about your brother? What, what is your brother doing? And so their idea is, oh my gosh, we got to get this stopped. We got to get this corrected. And so what do they do? They go out to take him by force. They didn't understand what was going on. So when you sit back and you understand this, Jesus understands what it's like to be rejected for your faith. Jesus understands what it's like when you tell your family, no, I'm not going to that party. No, I'm not going to drink anymore. No, I'm not going to keep doing that anymore. And they say, why? 
You too holy for us? You too good for us? Oh, Mr. Christian, Miss Christian, you're too good now. You don't get to do it. And you look and you say, no. I love God more than I love that alcohol. You speak volumes by your actions, even when you don't say a word. God is doing something incredible. And you may sit there and say, God, here I am home on a Saturday night alone. Jesus says, I understand. I can remember those days. I can remember those days, but this is a time to grow. Understand this. Jesus understands what it's like to be married. You say, well, what's that mean? Jesus understands what it's like to be married. It says that we are the bridegroom of the groom. He is, we're married to Jesus. We are married, the church, the body. We are married to Jesus. We are connected to him. He is helping us to grow. But not only that, he not only understands what it's like to be married so that you can cry out and say, God, what did you do to me when I married this person? Do you know who this is? What did you, I, here I prayed about it and you brought me this? You know, you've all thought that probably, except my wife. She, you know, she, yeah. Anyways, but not only does he understand what it's like to be married, he understands what it's like to be married to an unfaithful spouse. Well, what's that mean? Has anybody walked away from the church? Has anybody ever disregarded what God has asked them to do? And yet he still continues to love us. So you can look at him and say, God, I don't know how I can love anybody who's done this to me. He can say, I understand. I've been there. Here's how we do it. And you walk through a path and you walk through an understanding that God changes you forever. Jesus understands what it's like to have disobedient children. Well, what's that mean? Well, have you looked in the mirror? Because every one of us are sons and daughters of God. And I'll tell you what, I know this, I haven't been perfect this week. I wish I could say I've been perfect this week. But he knows what it's like to have disobedient children. So when you cry out to God and say, God, why did you give me this? Why, where, did, where did my child go? I had a sweet little baby and somehow they've come into this. God, what? What happened? And you keep, why did you do this to me, God? And God says, I know what it's like to have disobedient children. I understand. I've been there. I know that. I got that. I see that. And a lot of times they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Look in the mirror first. That's too close to home. We're not going to talk there. We're not going to get there. So we're going to keep understanding these things. Jesus understands relationships. He understands what we go through. Jesus understands what it's like to have friends in our life that basically cast us off. It says that Jesus was beaten. His friends weren't there. Jesus, the only friend that stood up for him was Peter, who tried to cut off a guy's head, missed, and got his ear. He's the only one that stood up. All the rest of them, what they do? They, it says they ran. They ran away. They left him be. And that's what Jesus understands. He, he understands what it's like to be alone. He understands what it's like to not be connected to somebody else. Jesus understands relationships. I always think about this. It says that Jesus had friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're all connected. They're all brothers, sisters. And it says that Lazarus died and Jesus got word of it. And you know, most of us, we would run when we hear somebody's dying or has died. We'd run. We're going to get there as quickly as we can. It says that Jesus got word that he was dying. And it says that he stayed there another two days. He went from staying there another two days to showing up at the city. The Bible says that Martha came out to meet him. Now, I want you to understand. Let's remember who Martha is. 
God kind of walked me through some things and helped me to understand a little bit more about Martha. Martha was the one that was in the kitchen preparing dinner for the whole group that was there listening to Jesus' sermon. It was the potluck. You know, they were going to have food afterwards. And so she's in preparing all this food. And that's the one where Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you, you deal with too many things instead of coming and hearing what I've got to say. That's my paraphrase of it. Um, you got to understand, because it didn't just happen that she just walked out there and said, Jesus, you need to tell Mary to come in here. When you think about how kids do things, because we're all kids, when my son and daughter, like we ask them to go clean up upstairs, or they go clean your rooms, or go clean this, and they're supposed to do it together, usually what happens is one of them will kind of be cleaning, the other one will not. And what's the first thing they do? So say my son is cleaning, his name's Cade, and my daughter's name is Taylor, and Taylor's not helping clean. So what's Cade do? Cade goes, Taylor, come here. Taylor, you need to help me clean. Taylor, you need to help. Taylor, you need to help me clean. Taylor, you need to help me. Taylor, you need to help me. And after about 30 minutes of hearing, Taylor, you need to help me clean. Finally, what's the next thing that happens? Mom, Taylor won't help me clean. And you're like, Taylor, get up there and help her clean. You know, and you're, and you're working through all this stuff, and you better do this. Well, that's kind of what happened with Martha and Mary. Martha probably went out there and was like, taps Mary on the shoulder. Hey, I need your help in the kitchen. She's like, and so she walks back in the kitchen, does some stuff, realizes she's not there, walks back out. It's like, hey, Mary, can you come help me? I need your help in here. And she's like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And she goes back in, does some work, goes back out. Mary's not out there, probably kicks her this time. It's like, come on, I need your help. Goes back in. She's not there. She goes back out and goes, Mary, get out of here. You know, and starts yelling, going back and forth. You know that's what probably happened. They're going through all these things. And finally, she got so fed up that she goes up. She interrupts the whole service and goes, Jesus, that woman right there, Mary, I need her help. Can you send her in the kitchen with me so she can help me? Dad, I need your help. You need to get this person. And that's when he looked at her and said, Martha, Martha, this is the more important thing, not the work. It's about the obedience. It's about receiving what God has. It's the same thing here. So, understanding who Martha is, now we get to Lazarus' death. Martha hears that Jesus has come into town. I always used to think of Martha as being a sweet lady, which she probably was really sweet. But she's just lost her brother. After she sent word to God. How many times have we prayed to God and not received the answer that we thought we should receive? What's our first reaction to God? God, I'm so sorry that I missed it on what I was supposed to do. Nope. God, I prayed. You said, if I will ask, I'll receive it. God, I prayed. I asked, and I wanted to receive this, and I didn't get it. Why didn't I get it? Why is this, God, that you don't answer my prayers? God, why didn't you do this? Our first reaction most of the time when we don't get what we want from God is anger. Who do we become angry at? It's God, because he didn't do what we wanted. Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus, and he waited two days Martha meets him as he comes into town, and it says, Jesus, if you had only been here. That's how I used to think of it, but I think, Jesus, if you had only been here with that little crooked finger, right in this, you know, and got the look, you know, that mom look that everybody, you know, they, he knows. He had friends who treated him different because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. So you say, but, but God doesn't understand. No, God does understand. God understands what it's like to be alone with no one. Jesus understands it. You know, for years, it helped me to understand that Jesus 
He really just wanted to show us the way. He wanted to give us the example to say, I can show you how to do this. That's what it comes back down to. Number two is Jesus understands work. Jesus was known as a carpenter because he took up his father's trait, which was carpentry. Now, carpenter back in the day is a lot different than the carpenter today. They didn't have DeWalt power tools to help them do what they wanted to do. They had these things called hands and rocks and hammers and picks and chisels and some type of screwdriver. I don't know if they had the Phillips screwdriver back then or the flathead. I don't know. They had something. They had all these different things. But you know how he did it? He did it with his hands. He understands what it's like to work. When you're out there in humidity and heat and stuck in an attic or you're stuck on a yard or you're doing this thing and you're like, God, this is so hard. And he says, I know. I remember building things for people. Not only that, Jesus understood how to work. He understood what it was like to be a business owner. He understood what it was like to run his own business, have all the stuff on him, to have that stress and everything that went with that. Not only that, Jesus knew what it was like to do work for people. And not only people, but so-called Christian people who you look at and think, you just stole everything that I just did. You didn't pay me. You didn't do what was right. You just stole it. Jesus dealt with people, good Christians and so-called Christians, good people and so-called good people. He dealt with everybody so that he could sympathize with you when you cry out and say, God, I don't know why this happens the way that it does. It's about a choice that we make to receive what God has for us. You can always, always cry out to Jesus about what's going on. The last and final one, number three, is this. Jesus understands pain. Now, there's a lot of different pain and things that we can go through in this life. But the thing I want you to understand about this pain is we're only going to cover two, emotional and physical pain, and briefly cover those for time's sake. We all go through pain in this life. Every one of us have dealt with emotional and physical pain, whether it be severe physical or minor. We've all had to deal with it. Same with emotional. We've had to go through those. We've had to all go through a healing process. Jesus went through those same things. Isaiah 53.3, or 53, we're going to start there. 53.3 says this, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and familiar with sufferings, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Talking about Jesus the whole time. Verse 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and punished... The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. And that's what it comes back down to, is we understand Jesus went through some incredible suffering for us. Jesus was despised, mocked, rejected for his job, for his ministry. They rejected him. The pastors of the church, the the pastors of that day rejected him because of who he was. You think he got hurt by the church? Literally. I mean, he got beat up by them. He got physically removed from the church. 
He's gone through those things. He was mocked because of his birth. He was called illegitimate. People didn't understand. When he was placed on the cross, there was a sign that was placed above his head that was mocking him. It said, the king of the Jews, mocking who he was, basically saying, this this is your king who's sitting on a cross. See what happens to kings who don't obey what we want? Jesus was tortured literally to death. Jesus understands physical pain, and you can talk to him about those things. When you've got a broken arm or a a sore body part or something that's not working the way that it should, you can cry out, and God says, I know. I understand. And he can encourage you and help you walk through the process of healing in that area. Jesus understands emotional pain. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three books are written in a different time frame than the book of John. They're the four Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus. The first three books talk about the birth of Jesus and then talk about his final year of ministry. So it shares a bunch about what he did in his final year. That's why when you read Matthew and Mark and Luke, you'll, you'll see a lot of similar stories. Jesus walking on water, uh, feeding the 5,000, different things like that that you'll find in different areas, different perspectives. But the book of John, you're going to find different stories and different things that happen with Jesus, different miracles that are and not any of the other three. And so when you go back and study it, here's how it all took place. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. And then John read those. And he said, those are good. Those are really good. That, that is exactly what that, that you guys did a great job. But then he asked the question, what about the first two years? Remember when we did this? You remember when we did this? And he started to write about it. And so he wrote the book of John, and that's why you read different things in the book of John than you do anywhere else. But I want you to understand this, because there's something significant that comes out that I don't think many of us have ever found out before. In Mark Matthew, Mark and Matthew, Jesus is referred to as the son of Mary. Mark 6, 3 says this, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? What it's talking about is it's referring to, that's also found, that's Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3 says about the same thing. But John 6, 42 says this, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And what he's talking about there is that all of a sudden, Joseph somehow is not in the picture anymore. When you go back and you study about this, there is record that is written that the father of Jesus died in the third year of Jesus's ministry. Now, a lot of us say, oh, that's so sad, you know, his father, but it's not really his father. You got to understand, Jesus was with this man for 32 years of his life. This was who he called dad. This man taught him everything he knew about carpentry. This man raised him. And not only that, it's not like he was just around him. He followed in his vocation, his job. He became a carpenter, which means every day he was spending time with his father, his his dad, Joseph, learning and growing. Either from the age of 5 or 12 is when Jesus started working with him. Whenever he got rejected by the school saying, yeah, you may be the son of God, but you're not smart enough to be a rabbi. Got rejected in those areas. And that's what it comes back down to, is that we understand something changed right there. 
So in Matthew and Mark, we read specifically about that now he's referred to as Mary. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and he saw John and Mary, and he looked at John and said, behold your mother. He looked at Mary and said, behold your son, go live with him. And it says from that day forward, she stayed with John. Because in the Jewish custom, if your father passed away, you went to live with your oldest son. That became the man of the house, and you lived with him for the rest of their life. Something significant happened in Jesus' third year of his ministry. He lost his dad. Now, when you think about this, this is the same man of God, the same man who brought Lazarus back from the dead. Why in the world would Jesus not heal his own father? I heard a pastor say this, and I think this is exactly right. He said this. He said, you know, I believe that Jesus let his father die so that he could experience the emotional train wreck that you will go through when you lose a loved one. So that when people cry out and say, God, I don't know why this happens. Why did I lose this? Why did I lose my mom? Why did my dad have to die? Why did my best friend have to die? Why did my son or daughter have to die? Why, God? He can look at him and say, I know what you're going through. I sympathize. I understand where you're coming from. Because this is true. Jesus is so real. And I think at times we get caught up in thinking he's a far-off God instead of a God who's standing right here. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.